Judith of Flanders, a prominent historical figure, played a significant role in the medieval period as the Queen Consort of Wessex and the Countess Consort of Flanders. Born around the year 843, her life was marked by political alliances, marriages, scandals, and the challenges of navigating the intricate web of early medieval European politics. This is her story. Judith was the eldest child of King Charles II of West Francia, which in turn made her the great-granddaughter of the legendary Charlemagne, putting much prestige behind her lineage. She would have grown up in a lavish estate, and received the best possible treatment that an early medieval princess would have. However, this would come at a cost. In the year 855, King Ethelwulf of Wessex would make a pilgrimage to Rome. On his way there, he stopped off at the court of King Charles and negotiated for a marriage with his 12-year-old daughter, Judith. Judith was born during a time before the country of England was birthed and instead were many separate kingdoms. The four major ones were Northumbria, Mercia, East Anglia and Wessex. Ethelwulf would have been in his 50s at this point and already had six children, many of them already being adults. Nevertheless, these kings lived during the early stages of the Viking Age and were seeking allies in order to protect their kingdoms from the ravaging and raiding the Norsemen were causing. King Ethelwulf would soon return from his pilgrimage in the year 856 and would once again stay in the court of King Charles. The king in his mid-fifties would marry a young Judith, aged around 13 at the time, in the year 856. The marriage was a lavish event and took place in the royal palace of Verberi-sur-Oise. In addition, a Carolingian princess rarely married and they were usually sent to convents in order to live out their lives in servitude to God. It was also extremely rare for them to marry foreign kings. However, with the power-hungry Viking warlords in Britain, alliances had to be cemented. During the ceremony, Judith put on a beautiful wedding ring and was also presented with magnificent gifts. She was also crowned and was anointed with myrrh. Ethelwulf would also call his new bride Judith his queen after the ceremony. However, according to the customs of Wessex at the time, the wife of a king could not be called queen, or sit the throne beside her husband. But Judith becoming the Queen of Wessex would have been a condition Charles gave to Ethelwulf when they were negotiating the marriage. In the Annals of Bertiniani it states, when the Bishop Himkar blessed the marriage and placed the crown on her head, he declared her queen, which neither he nor his people had in the past in the custom. Following the festivities, Ethelwulf, along with his newlywed wife, returned to Wessex. Judith, akin to many educated Frankish princesses of her era, likely brought an air of sophistication associated with the Carolingian monarchy to the Wessex court. However, upon their return, 
Ethelwulf found himself surrounded by traitors. His eldest surviving son, Ethelbald, and the elderman of Somerset, Ianwulf, conspired to depose him. In the end, Ethelwulf would divide Wessex with his son, Ethelbald. He would continue ruling until his death in the year 858. Judith had no children with Ethelwulf, and was now a 15-year-old widow. Ethelwulf's eldest surviving son, Ethelbald, would succeed him to the throne of Wessex, and he quickly married his stepmother, Judith. In consenting to this union, Judith possibly sought to evade the conventional destiny of widows, which often involved being sent to a convent. From Ethelbald's perspective, this marriage held strategic advantages due to Judith's affiliation with the esteemed Carolingian dynasty. It enabled him to elevate his standing, positioning himself ahead of his brothers in terms of status and influence. Many chroniclers, however, note this marriage as being a scandal. One writing, Once King Ethelwulf was dead, Ethelbald, his son, against God's prohibition and Christian dignity, and also contrary to the practice of all pagans, took over his father's marriage bed and married Judith, daughter of Charles, King of the Franks, incurring great disgrace from all who heard of it. Not much is known about the details from the marriage between Judith and Ethelbald. Nevertheless, they must have had quite a lot of prying eyes from the people of Wessex. During this time, Judith would retain her title as queen, but after just two and a half years, Ethelbald would die. Judith was still childless when Ethelbald passed away in the year 860. The demise of Ethelbald left Judith without prospects in Wessex. At the age of merely 17 and without children, her future within the kingdom became uncertain. According to Carolingian sources, she sold the property that she had acquired and returned to her father, who sent her to the monastery of Sonlis, where she was to remain under his royal protection. However, Judith's story was not over. A man named Baldwin would stumble upon the monastery in the year 861 and would encounter and meet the beautiful young princess, who although young and fair, was already widowed twice. Baldwin would soon fall in love with Judith, and around the Christmas of the year 862, Judith ran away from the monastery with her new love interest. Judith's father, King Charles, would be absolutely outraged upon hearing the news. He immediately ordered for search parties to find his daughter Judith and capture Baldwin. A new issue would arise, however. It had come to the king's attention that the couple had married in secret, without royal consent. King Charles would have them both excommunicated from the church. In essence, they had been banished from the church, which in 9th century Francia was a serious matter. Judith no longer had ties to her father, Charles, or her family. She could not return to any of her estates, and she had sold all her land in Wessex and had been excommunicated from the church. Out of options, Judith and her new husband Baldwin 
would seek refuge with the Viking Rorik, a warlord and the king of Frisia, which is a modern-day province in the Netherlands. Judith must have been desperate indeed to seek the help of the Vikings. Eventually, however, Judith and Baldwin would travel to Rome. She would plead her case to Pope Nicholas I, and was very convincing with her appeal. The Pope would ask Charles to recognise their marriage as legitimate, and welcome the young couple, but King Charles was a stubborn man, and would not be persuaded easily. Charles would eventually come around, however, and forgave his daughter, and reluctantly allowed her to marry. In hopes that Baldwin would meet a quick death, King Charles gifted him land south of the Scheldt River, a region frequently raided by the Vikings. Baldwin would prove to be quite the warrior, and gained the nickname Iron Arm. He amassed an army, and began building on his newly acquired land. This land would evolve to become the County of Flanders, an extremely powerful domain in France. Judith's home would now reside in Flanders, and it was a lavish fortified castle, with drawbridges and high walls. Now secure in her new marriage, she had at least three sons with Baldwin. However, she would dine around the year 870, at the young age of 26. She is remembered to history as Judith of Flanders, her life was marked by the challenges of navigating familial and political dynamics, as well as societal expectations. Her marriages were not always her own personal choices, and when they were, they resulted in scandal, especially the marriages to Ethelbald and Baldwin. In addition, her behaviour was unseemly for a Carolingian princess, from marrying her dead husband's son, to escaping from a nunnery and eloping without the consent of her father. Judith is mainly remembered in many chronicles and annals for the outrage she caused. However, in the end, she left a legacy in contributing to the establishment of the County of Flanders. A lot of us know Ethelfled from the TV show The Last Kingdom. Here, we see her accomplish much, such as fighting the Danes to protect Mercia, let it be clear that Ethelfled, the Lady of Mercia, was very real, and many historians describe Ethelfled as a warrior queen who played a vital role in the campaigns against the Danes. So let's delve into the life of the warrior Lady of the Mercians and find out more about her. First, let's look at her ancestry and early life. Ethelfled was the daughter of Alfred the Great, King of Wessex, and the king of the Anglo-Saxons. Alfred wouldn't have a peaceful reign though. As soon as he ascended to the throne, he spent several years fighting Viking invasions. Ethelfled would be born in the height of the Viking Age, in the year 870. By the time she was eight years old, most of England would be under Viking rule. The whole of the north had been conquered, and so had East Anglia, and Alfred was forced out of his own capital city and was on the run, hiding out in the marshes of Somerset. The whole of England had fallen, and Alfred was the only man who could take it back. Soon enough, Alfred would win a decisive victory at the Battle of Eddington, 
and would force the Vikings out of Wessex that would result in the baptism of their leader Guthrum. Sometime in the 880s, Alfred would seal a strategic alliance between the surviving English kingdoms by marrying Ethelfled to Ethelred, the Lord of the Mercians. It is said that Ethelred was a lot older than Ethelfled, and they only had one child together, called Elfwin. Saxon rule at this time was confined to Mercia's western half, as eastern Mercia was part of the Vikings' Danelaw. Ethelfled herself was half Mercian, with her mother being Elswith, a noblewoman whose father was Ethelred Musel, a Mercian noble and the elderman of the Gaini, one of the many tribes in Mercia. Ethelfled and her husband Ethelred would do much together, such as granting privileges to many abbeys and churches. Ethelred would also spend much time in the 890s fighting the Vikings alongside Alfred's son and the future king, Edward the Elder. However, sometime after the year 899, Ethelred's health may have declined, and Ethelfled may have become the effective ruler of Mercia. She would stand in for Ethelred, presiding over courts and signing diplomatic treaties. She also began to build a reputation for efficiency and justice. The Mercians soon realised that she was brilliant, and was a natural leader, disregarding her gender, which was rare at the time. Her husband would die in the year 911, and upon his death, Ethelfled became the Lady of the Mercians. Her ascent to the Mercian throne has been described as the only case of a female ruler of a kingdom in Anglo-Saxon history, and one of the unique events in early medieval history. The Elderman of Mercia would even swear allegiance to her. However, soon enough, trouble with the Vikings would once again be on the horizon. This is where Ethelfled's amazing role as a strategist would shine. Viking settlers would be expelled from Ireland and would make their way to Mercia. Ethelfled would give the Norsemen land in Mercia, but in reality, she was stalling them while she made preparations. She knew that if she didn't make peace with them instantly, they would bide their time and attack, but this way, they could be constantly watched, their supplies and numbers tracked, which would give her accurate information, so she could organise her defences or counterattacks accordingly. Her foresight would prove correct, as the same group of Norsemen attacked Chester in the year 907, but couldn't breach the city's walls. Ethelfled knew that more Viking attacks were on the way, as the Vikings had taken Mercia before, and she knew it was only a matter of time before they wanted to retake it. So she would renew alliances with powerful Eldermen and her brother, the King of Wessex. Together, brother and sister would reconquer old Mercian territories that were within the Danelaw. They would launch a five-week campaign against the Kingdom of Lindsay and would recapture the relics of St. Oswald of Northumbria. In the year 910, Ethelfled would finally make her mark in battle as the Vikings would seek vengeance. The kings of the Danelaw would assemble. There were three co-rulers who were all kings and brothers. There was Eowils, Halfdan and Inwar. They would transport their army through the River Severn directly into the heartlands of Mercia. 
they would raid and ravage the land and would collect much wealth. They would quickly make their way back to their lands, but all of this had been anticipated by the Lady of Mercia, Ethelfled. Ethelfled would meet the three Viking kings at Tettenhall with an army. Also present was her brother, Edward, with the forces of Wessex. And so the Battle of Tettenhall began. The allies of Wessex and Mercia trapped their Viking enemy and inflicted such a slaughter that it was reported in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle that thousands of Vikings were killed. The three Viking kings of Northumbria were amongst the fallen and died there on the battlefield. To conclude, it was a massacre. It seems that here, Ethelfled the warrior was born. She never married after the death of her husband. All were captivated by her, for her work ethic and brilliance really was astounding. In the year 917, there were further Viking invasions, but all would fail. Ethelfled would send her armies to capture Derby, which was one of the five boroughs in the Danelaw, and soon enough, the dominoes would all start to fall. Her victory at Derby has been regarded as one of her greatest victories, as it broke through the barrier to allow the reconquest of England. Just a few years earlier, this was thought to be impossible. By the end of the year, the East Anglian Vikings submitted to Ethelfled, and in early 918, she liberated the ancient city of Leicester, with their Viking army submitting to her. York was now under threat of being reclaimed by the Saxons, and the Vikings were terrified to lose one of their final strongholds. But York would pledge their loyalty to Ethelfled to avoid bloodshed, but she would tragically die on the 12th of June in the year 918, at the age of 48, before she could accept their loyalty. She died a few months too early to see the final conquest of the southern Danelaw by her brother Edward. She was succeeded as the Lady of Mercians by her daughter, Aelfwyn, but Edward would soon depose her and have Mercia under his control. And so ends the tale of the Lady of Mercia, with her starting the conquest of the Danelaw and the retaking of England, she laid the foundations for her father Alfred's dream, a united England. Her brother King Edward had influence over most of the country when he absorbed Mercia into his own kingdom, and also with many of the boroughs of the Danelaw submitting to him. Ethelfled made it possible for Edward's son King Athelstan to be proclaimed as the first king of the whole of England. Elfrith was the first wife of an English king to be anointed as queen. She is remembered as an extremely powerful political figure in the late 10th century, and is remembered to history as an evil queen, drunk on power, who would hatch plots and schemes from the shadows. But how did the first official Queen of England get such a title? This is her story. Elfrith was born just two decades after the establishment of England in the year 945, and like all girls in the kingdom, she had dreams of becoming a queen. She was the daughter of Elderman Orgar, who was a great landowner. As per the accounts of William of Malmesbury, the foremost English historian of the 12th century, news of the exceptional beauty of Elfrith 
the daughter of Ordgar, reached the ears of the current King of England, King Edgar, in search of a suitable queen. Edgar dispatched Ethelwold, the elderman of East Anglia, to assess the girl's beauty and instructed him to propose marriage to her if her appearance lived up to the reports. Finding her beauty to be as splendid as rumoured, Ethelwold, contrary to his instructions, married Elfrith himself and falsely reported to Edgar that she was unsuitable. Upon learning of Ethelwold's betrayal, Edgar devised a plan for reprisal. He declared his intention to visit Elfrith, causing great concern for Ethelwald. Desperate to dissuade the king's interest, Ethelwald implored Elfrith to make herself appear as unattractive as possible for the impending visit. However, she defied his request and, according to William, deliberately enhanced her allure. Edgar, captivated by her beauty, allegedly killed Ethelwald during a hunting expedition. Elfrith could now remarry. Edgar would soon marry Elfrith in the year 964. She would have been around 19 at the time. The Kingdom of England was still relatively new prior to its unification by King Ethelstan in the year 927. Several Viking warlords would crown themselves the kings of the provinces they invaded. In light of these circumstances, King Edgar orchestrated a second coronation for himself to reinforce his assertion as the undisputed ruler of all England. In this coronation ceremony, Elthrif II was crowned and anointed elevating her status to a level surpassing that of any recent queen. However, Edgar had two children already, a son named Edward and a daughter named Edith. Elfrith and Edgar would soon have children of their own, Edmund, although he died young, and a second son named Ethelred. Throughout her tenure as queen, Elfrith bore the responsibility of overseeing the kingdom's nunneries. Her influence extended beyond court, as she actively engaged in the affairs of various abbeys, taking a keen interest in their well-being. This not only attests to her administrative prowess, but also underscores her genuine dedication to the religious and social fabric of the kingdom. After around 10 years of marriage, King Edgar would die in the year 975. He left behind two sons by different mothers, Edward and Ethelred. Edward was almost an adult at the time of his father's death, whereas Ethelred would have been a boy of ten. Elfrith would support her son's claim for the throne, however she was unsuccessful and Edward would ascend to the throne, ending her time as queen. Three years into Edward's reign, he would visit his younger brother Ethelred at Corfe Castle in the year 978. According to William of Malmesbury, Elthrif had been scheming during Edward's reign to have him killed, and this was her chance. She knew he wouldn't have huge amounts of guards surrounding him as he was visiting kin, and she could come to greet him personally before he entered the castle as a courtesy to the king. 
she would hand him refreshment after his long journey, but this was a distraction, and her servant would stab the unaware king. Edward fell off his horse and died. The only true choice now to be the King of England was Ethelred, and so, the blood of Elthrif would come to rule the land. However, news regarding how the king died would spread around the kingdom, and he became a legendary figure, even being proclaimed as a saint. Later chronicles were written about his life, and they paint Elfrith as a witch and a murderer. Some accounts even say she slew the king herself. Nevertheless, in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, the killer of the king was never named. It must have remained a secret among the nobility that hid the truth behind the regicide. In the span of a year following his brother's demise, Ethelred ascended to the throne as the confirmed king of the English. Given Ethelred's youth, Elthrif assumed the role as regent, providing steady guidance and governance for her son, until he reached the age of maturity, which transpired around the year 984. Therefore, Elthrif was the most powerful woman in the history of England at the time, for around six years. This period of regency underscores Elfrith's pivotal role in maintaining stability and continuity within the English monarchy during a transitional phase in the young king's life. After her son Ethelred, now remembered to history as Ethelred the Unready, assumed his duties as king, Elfrith remained an important figure in court, being responsible for the care of her grandchildren. Despite the tarnishing of her reputation, due to the unforeseen murder of her stepson, Elfrith remained a woman of devout religious convictions. Throughout her queenship, she demonstrated a particular commitment to monastic reform. According to the accounts by William of Malmesbury, Elfrith is credited with the founding of several abbeys. This reveals her enduring dedication to fostering religious institutions and contributing to the broader tapestry of monastic life during her reign. She died in around the year 1000, unfortunately due to the murder of Edmund and Elfrith being blamed in many sources. She is remembered as a stereotypical evil queen and a bad stepmother, who as the first official queen of England became drunk on power and had to have her own blood on the throne. Queen Edith of Wessex was a prominent and intriguing figure in medieval England. She played a significant role during a period of political upheaval, and her life reflects the complex interplay of power, alliances, and personal resilience. This is her story. Edith was born in around the year 1025, and she was the daughter of Godwin of Wessex, the most powerful earl in England at the time. For years, the Danes had been trying to overrun the Kingdom of England, and Canute achieved it, becoming a Danish King of England. It was during this time that Edith's father rose to prominence. However, Canute would die in the year 1035, and his two sons wouldn't last long on the throne. By the year 1042, 
the English throne was back to Alfred the Great's line, with the current king being Edward the Confessor, a traditionally pious man. Edith was raised at Wilton Abbey, where she received a comprehensive education and became proficient in several languages, likely honing these skills during her time there. Her enduring attachment to the Abbey was exemplified in her later years, when she undertook the reconstruction of its church. Edith also had several brothers, many of whom would later become notable figures. There was Swain, Harold, who later became King Harold Godwinson, Tostig, Gerth, Leofwine, and Wolfnoth. Godwin, the most powerful earl in England, would try and marry his daughter Edith to the king. Edith would enter into a marriage with King Edward on the 23rd of January in the year 1045. Edith's name at birth was actually Githa after her mother, but she was renamed when she married the king. Unlike many spouses of Saxon kings of England, during the 10th and 11th centuries, Edith would receive the honour of being crowned queen. However, despite their union, the couple did not have any children. Many chroniclers speculated that this lack of offspring stemmed from Edward's vow of celibacy. However, there was another reason why he may have been held back. When Canute the Great died, all of the sons of the old dead English king Ethelred the Unready would reside in exile in Normandy. One who sought to reclaim his ancestral title was Alfred Etheling, Edward's brother. He went to England with a Norman mercenary guard and attempted to make his way to London. He was betrayed, however, by Godwin of Wessex. The young Alfred was then blinded and killed. Harold Hereford, Canute the Great's son, had swiftly taken the throne and assumed power. Years later, the crown had now fallen to Edward, with the Danish line having ended, returning the reign to the English kings. Edward would never fully forgive Godwin for murdering his brother to further his own political ambitions at the time, and King Edward was trying to seize the chance to bring the powerful Earl to heel. In the year 1051, tensions escalated between Godwin and King Edward, resulting in Godwin and his whole clan's exile from the country. Edith, possibly due to her childless marriage and Edward's consideration of divorce, was sent to a nunnery during this period. However, when the Godwins finally returned to England in the year 1052, Edith was reinstated to her position as queen. In her role as the king's wife, Edith held significant responsibilities, primarily in maintaining his regal image and adornment. Edith took a proactive approach in ensuring her husband's presentation, commissioning various pieces for his personal embellishment. Notably, she even counted a goldsmith among her tenants, underscoring her dedication to ensuring the king's splendour. Edith shared a close bond with her brother Tostig, and together with her other brother Harold, they secured his appointment as the Earl of Northumbria in the year 1055. 
However, Tostig's rule proved unpopular, leading to unrest among the Northumbrian nobles. In the year 1064, Edith found herself embroiled in controversy when she was accused at court of orchestrating the murder of the Northumbrian noble Gospatric, allegedly to benefit Tostig's interests. The situation escalated in the year 1065 when Tostig, likely in the company of King Edward, was hunting while the northern rebels seized the opportunity to elect Morcar, Harold's brother-in-law, as the new earl. Tostig retaliated by accusing his brother Harold of conspiring with the rebels, prompting Harold to publicly swear an oath to clear his name. Edward demanded that the rebels be suppressed, but to his and Edith's fury, Harold and the English thens refused to enforce the order. This refusal led to Morcar's confirmation as earl, while Tostig was subsequently forced into exile, marking a significant turning point in the political dynamics of the time. In the twilight of 1065, King Edward the Confessor slipped into a coma, leaving the matter of succession shrouded in uncertainty. His passing occurred on the 5th of January in the year 1066. However, before his final moments, he briefly regained consciousness and entrusted his widow Edith and the kingdom to the protective care of Harold Godwinson, Edith's brother. But the throne of England was widely contested, with Harold Hardrada, the battle-hardened Viking warrior wanting the crown, and also William of Normandy, who was planning an invasion. Edith's brother Tostig would betray the English and sided with Hardrada the Viking King. However, Harold Godwinson crushed his forces at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. Hardrada and Tostig would lay among the fallen. Under a month later, William the Bastard crossed the Channel and landed in England, resulting in the Battle of Hastings. Here, Edith lost her other brothers, Leofwine, Gerth, and the king himself, Harold, was dead. Following the Norman conquest, Edith stood as the sole surviving senior member of the Godwin family who remained on English soil, as the sons of her fallen brother Harold sought refuge in Ireland. Edith would die in the year 1075 from an illness which she had been suffering from. She was buried together with her husband in Westminster Abbey and her funeral was arranged by William the Conqueror, the now King of England. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle reports of Edith's end. Edith, the lady, died seven nights before Christmas in Winchester. She was King Edward's wife, and the King had her brought to Westminster with great honour and laid her near King Edward, her Lord. I hope you all enjoyed the video. If you did, Make sure to like, subscribe and share, and I'll see you all soon for another History Profile.